today. The focus this morning is on 3, 16 to 4, 6. As I said last, as I said last week, uh, this section of Ecclesiastes is extremely difficult to outline because there aren't any real clear breaks. Um, but uh, many uh, see that um, uh, 3.16 to 4.6 uh, is, a, is, a is a good portion to hold together because it is, it is all holding together. If you notice in verse 16, moreover, 4.1, again, verse 4, then, um, and, and then verse 7, again, is there again. And so 7 is another break. And and the reason that many believe this is a good break is because there is so much content in 3.16 to 4.6 that to attempt uh, any more um, would really, really be difficult. So we're going to focus on 3.16 to 4.6. I'm going to begin reading, though, um, up in um, verse... Uh, we'll go with 11. <laughs> 11, provide, 11 through uh, 15 providing us context connecting us today with what we looked at um, last week. The, um, the title of the sermon this morning is, is Judgment, Oppression, Envy, and a Handful of Quietness. Ecclesiastes 3, beginning in verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. All go to one place. All Rare from the all, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? 
Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their, aggress- of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are very challenging truths that you are revealing to us here through Solomon. And so give us hearts that are open to your word. Give us eyes that want to see and ears that want to listen. And Father, help us to understand a very difficult, challenging, yet very freeing portion of your scripture. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Judgment, oppression, envy, and a handful of of quietness. No, this is, this is not a Western movie, although the title sounds like that. But in a sense, what Solomon is describing for us is quite often what you will see in one of those Clint Eastwood Westerns. What is it that you normally see in those types of movies? But you see that there, there is a group that are powerful, that uh, have a lot of resources, and they are using those resources, whether it be money, whether it be men, whether it be guns, whether it be authority, whatever. They're taking those resources that they have, and they are using them to take something from people in an illegal way. They're oppressing them. They're, they, they, they want what those people have, and so they use their power to take it from them. And, and what happens is, is you have the, the, the one who rides in on the horse in order to save the people from the oppressors. There is something about that that is at the heart of what Solomon is unfolding for us here as he continues to build on this argument that he has been presenting to us from the very beginning of the book. You and I are not God. We are creatures. We are finite. We cannot determine our days. We cannot control our days. We we can't do anything, whether it is through knowledge, whether it's through wisdom, whether it's through money, whether it's through using people, as he said, that he had acquired slaves for himself. It is not through earthly pleasure. There is nothing that we can utilize on this side of reality 
reality as it ex exists under the sun. There is nothing that we can get a hold of that we can somehow use for ourselves to change what is. You are finite. And you live in a world that has been plunged into sin and misery. And the result is you're going to live out your days and you're going to die. That is the reality. And you can't use things from this world to change that reality. Last week, he, he helped us to see that there are seasons within life. And the seasons that he describes are seasons that are, are delightful and seasons that are disquieting. That there are seasons that we consider good and seasons we consider bad. And yet, these seasons are very complex because it's not always clear if what is happening is good or is bad. A time for war can be good. A time for war can be bad. How do you determine between the two? Life under the sun is finite. It is sinful. And as a result, you and I, not just the world out there, you and I live in such a way that we often play make-believe. I'm going to pretend that I can make things the way I want them to be. I can make my family be what I want my family to be. I can make my vocation uh, satisfy me in a way that I think that my vocation should satisfy me. I, I can stop things, right? I can take my, my precious little girls as they are, you know, when they were you know, at that young age where they still liked me, right? <laughs> Hannah and I were at a Mexican restaurant a couple months ago, and there was this dad and this little girl, and I, and I kept pointing at her, and just to make, just, just to, 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 you know, make fun with Hannah, but there, there, you, there, you, there are these temptations, right? As a parent, as a grandparent, if I could just freeze, if I could just freeze them with where they are right here, they still adore me. They still haven't figured out how awful I am. They're not having to interact with me by faith. <laughs> they're, they're, they're getting to interact with me through ignorance. And ignorance is bliss. Right? We want to freeze time. We, we, want to, we want to, when we have these good moments, we want to take them and we want to stop them. And we want everything to just be this. But what Solomon wants us to understand is if we live with, those, with expectations that we can do that, if we live with expectations that we should even want that, that we are not going to live according to the seasons that exist. We'll be like the farmer who knows that spring is coming and decides not to, not to plant because he has decided that the seasons aren't going to determine what I want to do. I'm going to determine what I want to do. And if I want to plant in December, then that's what I'll do. You see, we get these expectations. We play make-believe. And we do this not because we're awful. As Solomon told us last week, God has put eternity into our hearts. Sin twists 
that for us now. One of the things that this means for us is that we know that there is something more than just what's under the sun. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? From my Sunday school class, as we're learning Psalm 19, 1 and 2, Eliad's ready to go right now. He's got his hands up. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation tells us that there is something beyond just this world. The problem is for us is we can't see the world, we can't see history the way God does. But we play God. And what can happen is our expectations develop into an inflexibility of actually living according to what is happening to us. That's not wise, Solomon says. There is a wisdom in embracing the season that is there before you. And so what God is doing here in that poem is he's describing for us not what should be, he's describing what is. So that you as his people are armed with the knowledge that you need of learning to set your expectations according to what he is revealing. This means we have to trust him. We have to trust him as, as we just sang. We have to trust him when darkest doubts befall. We have to trust him when our strength is small because we know that the shield of Jesus is the safest place of all. I will trust my Savior Jesus. His way is best. I know the path he's chosen leads to everlasting rest. And yet, the path that Jesus has chosen for us that leads to everlasting rest is a path that is walked in humility. It is a path that is walked where we experience both delightful things and disquieting things. It is a path of the cross. But a cross that doesn't lead to death, that leads to life. We have to trust. And what he goes on to describe now is some extremely disquieting realities within history. That history is full of people who oppress. That history is full of people who use their time, their treasures, and their talents in order to try to create heaven on earth. And within the process of doing so, hurting those around them. God tells us that when it comes to humanity, everything that humanity does is finite. How does that help us trust 
Jesus within this dark hour in which we live? Well, we know that there is nothing that any human can do that will have any lasting effect. Anything that a human does is characterized by the reality of what humanity is, and that is fallen, that is finite, and just as we are going to die and, we're go- and, and, and the world is going to move on without, without us, so also is it true that even in some of the greatest evil that has existed within this life, it doesn't continue. How often do we read history and see that there was a, a wicked man that would rise up and use power in order to go to war, in order to take stuff that belonged to other people groups, but when he died, so also did the movement. What man does, guys, is finite. What God does is infinite. And we are told here that what God is going to do is he is going to judge the righteous and the wicked. To us, sometimes it feels like those hurts that we receive from people, sometimes it feels like they just go on and they just go on and they just go on, whether it's at the individual level or if it's at a community level where it feels like it's just, it's just an ongoing persistence of one group oppressing another and it feels like it's just going to be infinite and yet what we are told is that it is not And we are told that we are not alone as we experience it because God is watching and God is going to chase after what has been done. There is nothing that has happened within history that gets lost to time because God is going to chase it down and he is going to bring everything to an account. If you are someone who is found finding your righteousness in Jesus Christ, this is a very comforting reality. If you are someone who is not, you should be absolutely terrified and fearful. But for those who are following God and finding their hope in Jesus Christ, The evil that we experience in this world does not have to disquiet us to the point of losing hope and trust in God because God is going to chase down every single thing that has been done to you and he's going to bring it to an account. Now, the reason this is comforting for those who are in Christ Jesus is because God has already done this for you. He chased down everything that you have done He has chased down everything you're going to do as you at times are the oppressor. He has chased it down already and he has poured out his wrath on those things in Jesus Christ. It is not always clear, just like the seasons, It is not always that here is the oppressed and here is the oppressor. Quite often, the oppressed can become oppressor and oppressor can become oppressed. 
And one of the ways that we see that unfolded for us here in Ecclesiastes 3 and 4 has specifically to do with money. Solomon tells us that when he sees the toil that is taking place within this world, that it is motivated by envy. It is motivated by a lack of contentment. A lack of contentment that takes us all the way back to the garden when our first parents plunged us into sin and misery. They were not content with the beauty of what God had created for them. They were not content with the bounty of what God had created for them. They were not content in a relationship with him where he offered to them to dwell with him forever and forever and instead became more content with listening to the words of the serpent. They wanted the blessings, but they didn't want God. And history has been marked by that desire. Not just history. Beloved, my history, your history, has been marked by this ongoing pursuit. Now, thankfully, in God's grace, he has given us all things in Jesus Christ. And part of, the, of growing as, and maturing as a Christian disciple is learning to more consciously hold on to what you have been given in Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is you're not going to perfectly find your only satisfaction in what you have in Christ on this side of the heavenly places. You are going to also continue to wrestle with a heart that is restless. And so you will have a mixture of a life that is set upon God as well as a life that is still set upon yourself. And guess what? The result is you will do things that will hurt those around you. And you will do them because you are not content with what you have in Christ. Now, right now in our society and within our culture, some of the words I'm using today are being bantied about, right? They're being used quite frequently, not only out in the world with regards to politics, but very specifically, even within the church, even more specifically within the PCA. And so my encouragement to you this morning as we look at this and as we will continue to look at these things as we move through Ecclesiastes is don't listen to me as I am trying to tell you here's what God has said. Don't listen to me and filter me through what is being said in politics and what is being said even within the PCA right now. And here's why. It's not that I have it all figured out, so listen to me instead. No. There are many right now that are saying what I'm about to say. And that is, when it comes to matters of justice, we do not have the option of whether or not to care. 
when it comes to oppression, we don't have the option of whether or not to care. When, when it comes to the way envy leads uh, people to commit economic violence against one another, we are not left in a position to not care. We have to care. But we don't let the world's theories of what caring looks like determine how we care. Unfortunately, there is a history, even within this country, a history that includes the church, where the church participated in and condoned oppression. Even while, at the same time, promoting freedom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, do I say that to point fingers? No, because I would have to point fingers, all of them, at me. Doesn't Ecclesiastes tell us, doesn't the poem of chapter 3 tell us that there's a season for this and a season for that and that none of us are going to get it right? And the reality is there have been some things done. But we can't take that and say that the only thing that has been done is oppression because that's not true. But we also can't go to the other extreme and say that there has been no oppression and that it's only been good. My point is this. Ecclesiastes calls us to, to interact with life through nuance. And through an understanding that it's not going to be all one thing or all the other. There is a mixture. There's a time to live. There is a time to die. And there is time for everything in between those two realities. Not because of what should be. Because of what is. So we don't get the option of choosing whether or not to care about oppression and justice. But we have the calling to make sure that we care about them according to what God has revealed in his scripture. And what God has revealed in his scripture is that there is an extremely Christian way of understanding these things. And that first and foremost, yes, we care about oppression itself. We don't condone it. We don't make up excuses for it. And that we, we are to, to speak out against it. We are to reveal something that is different within the life and the community of the church. That one's the easy one. What I think some in the church have forgotten, though, is that we care as a Christian community not just about the oppressed. We care about the oppressor. Because the oppressor, according to Solomon here, not only oppresses others, the oppressor oppresses himself. You see, there's a form of oppression where, where envy takes, you know, motivates you to work really hard and to take things from others. 
but there's also a form of envy that motivates you not to try hard at all and wind up consuming yourself, he says in verse 5. You see, there's a problem. When I was in high school, well, in all the grades before high school, I was not a reader. And in my sophomore year in high school, uh, I was, or was it jun- one of the sophomore junior year, I was in a class that uh, had a, you know, there were certain books we were supposed to read. Uh, and I knew that the, how do you say this? What's the right word? I don't know the right word. The, uh, the low level class, remedial class. I think that's the right word. I always saw these copies of, of Animal Farm, where you had, you know, some animals on the cover, and it was real, real short. And I always was like, why can't we be the class that reads Animal Farm? Not because I was interested in Animal Farm, but because it was like, you know, it's small, it's short, it's got pictures of animals, especially pigs, and I was hungry. It was like, yes. I will never understand why that was part of the remedial curriculum. One of the things that I did once I uh, got older is I went back and I read every single thing that I was supposed to have read. And I read beyond. And so one day, I went to Barnes & Noble, I got my cup of coffee, I sat down and I said, you know what, I'm going to read Animal Farm. I I could still remember it, still like the picture of the pig. And I thought, you know, that's probably right at my level. And so I read Animal Farm. And if you have not read Animal Farm, you need to read Animal Farm. Because it is a a beautiful portrait, or, or it is a hauntingly beautiful portrait of what happens when you only think of oppression through, through the perspective of the oppressor oppressing the victims. Because what he shows in that short little allegory is exactly what Solomon is unfolding here thousands of years before him. In the narrative of Animal Farm, what you have is a farm, and it's supposed to be a picture of of Russian society. And what you have is you have a couple of pigs that many believe represented uh, uh, Lenin and Trotsky. And um, what what ends up happening is these pigs, they go to all the other animals, and they say, you know what, you guys should not be happy with the way things are. Because the people, they get to live up there in the house and they have everything and they have great food and parties and fun and they sit there and they have all that because they beat you and they whip you and they use you. And they present a reality to the other animals that is a reality that is based upon the premise that all of reality can can be summed up in terms of oppressors and victims. And then what they do is they teach them to rise up, but not to rise up in order for there to become a freedom and a liberty and an equality that exists. What they do is they call them to rise up in such a way that it empowers the pigs. And the end of the book is one of the most brilliant endings of a book that I can think of. Because at the end of the book, The pigs 
who had made fun of the humans because they walked on two feet, the pigs who made fun of the humans because they lived up in the big house having the parties and enjoying all the stuff on the backs of the other animals. At the end of the story, the pigs are in the house. The pigs are enjoying the parties and the pigs are walking on two feet. What's the point? Not that the pigs led the humans and the animals to come to some level of of equality, but the pigs used the animals to become part of the oppressing class. And that is what has happened every time that what we call today communism has been attempted, is that those who are said, said that they are being oppressed are used for a handful of people to rise up in order for them to become the abusers. And what happens to the people? They don't get raised up. Quite often they go even further down. And this is not, I'm not putting this forward as an economics lesson or a history lesson. My point is this. There are some within the church today that have rightly wanted to be honest about the oppression that has taken place in our history, including the participation of the church. But rather than responding as God unfolds for us here, as Solomon tells us, instead of trying to promote an honesty that leads to confession of sin and leads to finding contentment in God in order to spread that contentment throughout the world. What they have chosen to do is utilize this paradigm of power in order to flip the narrative. And the temptation for you and me is this. Because they have flipped the narrative and because they are still participating in the wrong thing, the temptation for us is to be like, oh, well, then there's nothing for me to do here. There's no place for me to participate because I don't don't believe what the world believes. I certainly don't believe what many in the church are promoting. And so the temptation is to check out. Beloved, Solomon is telling us that we have to care. Because there are those who are oppressed and are not experiencing justice in this life. And what Solomon says about that is that it would be better not even to be born than to have to see the injustice, let alone experience it. And beloved, there are those who are oppressed in this life who are going to go and stand before God and be judged. Beloved, there are oppressors in this life that are oppressing because they cannot find their contentment in what God has given to them. And so they take and they commit atrocious acts, and they will stand before the judgment of God. We cannot check out and not care. But we also don't don't care. We don't let the world, and we don't let those who are affected by the world tell us what caring looks like. 
what we do is we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world and who was willingly oppressed, though he was righteous, where he experienced the injustice of having wicked men that he created judge him, yet who also tasted of God's justice for you by paying the penalty of your sins on the cross. And beloved, he did this because this was his mission. And we have now been given a share of that mission as well. This is how the world is. It shouldn't be, but this is how the world is. Beloved, what you and I can do is to avoid the extremes on both sides of what the world would tell us is, is important and allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to lead us to humbly take up our cross in order to present to the world the righteousness that is found in Christ in the way that we love one another, in the way that we pursue God's truth with one another, in the way that we serve one another, the way that we strive to fulfill now that we are free in Christ, obedience to God and to his law through the power of grace that the Spirit has caused to surge through your souls, giving you new life and giving you a new ability not only to sin, but also to be righteous. Beloved, we have to do this within these walls for us so that we can do this for the world outside of these walls so that people can see that there is not only oppression, there is not only injustice, that there is not only a beastly existence in a fallen world, but that there is also a new life and a new world that has come that is already present in the life of Christ's and in the life of his people. And so, beloved, it is for us, what is for us to do is to set our hearts on the God who is infinite, who is going to bring all of this to judgment and will do so, not leaving one little thing out. He will chase it down. And we entrust ourselves to him, even through darkest doubts, even as we see experience, and sometimes even commit the injustice that Jesus Christ has taken care of on the cross. Beloved, cultivate within your new hearts in Christ a contentment that in him you have been made a child of the king and you have received to the full his eternal inheritance. You have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. And we don't thank you enough for just how amazing your gospel is and what you have done for us and given to us in fullness in Christ. And our lives tend to be marked, Lord, by times where we're thankful, but then times where we complain. 
Lord, this isn't the way I want it to be. Lord, this isn't the way I think it should be. Lord, that this isn't what I prefer. Whether it's something to do within our own lives, whether it's something to do within the church, whether it's something to do within the world, Lord, just like your people of old, we tend to be marked by grumbling and complaining. And so help us, Lord, to cultivate within our lives a gratitude that goes beyond what we see and what can only be grasped by faith. Help us to cultivate the habits of contentedness and to reject the temptations of restlessness. Lord, help us not to use our vocations or our relationships to get more of what we think we need and hurt people in the process. Instead, Lord, help us from the fullness of what we have in Christ to be content with quietness within this life that we may give to others around us. You have told us that, in Christ, that Christ became poor to make us rich. Lord, convince us that we're rich so that we will be sharers of what we have. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.